0: Ola, so. This morning, rather than reading the text prior to the guided meditation, we'll just let um, Padmasambhava himself, through the text that is, of course, a guide us in the meditation. I'll give a little bit of commentary here and there, but so you can distinguish between the text and the commentary. Simply look at the text afterwards. I won't try to I won't every, every single time say, Now it's me speaking. So please find a comfortable position and we'll begin. But Ms. begins this next session by simply stating, then do as before. So let's do as we have done before. Settle the body, speech, and mind in the natural state. And for a little while, calm the mind with mindfulness of breathing. Now, once again, as we have done before, let your eyes be at least partially open and evenly rest your awareness in the space in front of you without focusing on anything, without meditating on anything. Just be present, without distraction or grasping. Apatma continues. Now, alternately, tightly concentrate your consciousness, wholly concentrating it without wavering, and then gently release it, evenly resting it in openness. Again, concentrate, and again release. In that way, meditate with alternating constriction and release. At times, steadily direct your attention up into the sky, that is, up into the space directly above you. Steadily focus your awareness without, with a desire to be without anything on which to meditate. That is, simply direct your awareness up with no target, no visualization, as if you were listening to a sound way up above your head. Simply direct your awareness without visualization, without a target, in the space above you, as far as your awareness can reach. Relax again. at times steadily, unwaveringly, direct your awareness into the space on your right, Relax again. Now steadily, unwaveringly direct your awareness into the space to the left And relax again. steadily, unwaveringly direct your awareness downwards into the space below. Relax again. During each session, rotate the gaze around in those directions. Occasionally inquire, what is the awareness of the one who is focusing the interest? Let the awareness itself steadily observe itself. At times, evenly focus your awareness in the, in the expanse of the sky. Sorry, I, just, I skipped ahead. At times, let your mind come to rest in the center of your heart and evenly leave it there. So this does not entail visualizing your heart or the heart chakra, but to the best of your ability, simply letting the locus of your awareness come and settle in the heart, again the heart chakra, the center of the chest, as if you're looking out from the heart, your awareness located in the heart, and simply rest there. And at times evenly focus your awareness in the expanse of space and leave it there. Thus, by shifting the gaze in various alternating ways, the mind settles in its natural state. As indications of this, if awareness remains evenly, lucidly, and steadily, wherever it is placed, shamatha has arisen. If awareness becomes muddled and without mindfulness, that is the problem of laxity or dimness. So clear it up, inspire it, and shift your gaze. If it becomes distracted and excited, it is important that you lower your gaze and release your awareness. If samadhi arises in which there is nothing of which you can say, this is meditation, And this is conceptualization. This is the problem of oblivion. So meditate with alternating concentration and release, and recognize who is meditating. Recognize the flaws of shamatha or the imbalances of attention and eliminate them right away So you notice in this passage, which is the concluding passage of the actual instructions on the meditation, he doesn't say, do this for one day. It's kind of like, dot, 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 continue on. He says, do this, you know, until you achieve So here's the concluding paragraph, summing up. And then the very next section after this goes directly into vipassana, then after that, dream yoga, and then onto Zogchen. Per se. Padma Sambhava writes here Fla- Flawless sh- shamata is like an oil lamp that is unmoved by wind. Wherever the awareness is placed, it is unwaveringly present. Awareness is vividly clear, without being sullied by laxity, lethargy, or dimness. Wherever the awareness is directed, it is straight, it is steady, and sharply pointed. And unmoved by adventitious thoughts, it is straight. Thus a flawless meditative state arises in one's mind stream. So you might recall earlier, he said that some people will go for the view first, and then meditation sec- meditative state. the meditative state second. And others, and he said, according to my tradition, go for the meditative state first, and then they seek the view, specifically the Dzogchen view. So I said earlier that what he's referring to with meditative state is referring to shamatha. Here he says that. And so thus, a flawless meditative state arises in one's mind stream. And until this happens, it is important that the mind is settled in its natural state. In other words, don't give up, don't cut short, don't abort the mission but do it until your mind has settled in its natural state. And elsewhere in the Vajra Essence, then he really elaborates what exactly that means. This is a rather short and just purely a practice manual. The Vajra Essence is definitely a practice manual, but it, how do you say, it elaborates more fully, giving context. And so there he makes it so clear that the mind is settled in its natural state when your mind is actually dissolved into its relative ground state, the substrate consciousness. So Padmasambhava here continues, without genuine shamata arising in one's mindstream, even if pristine awareness is pointed out, it becomes nothing more than an object of intellectual understanding, and one is left simply giving lip service to the view, and there is the danger that one may succumb to dogmatism. So, very nice to receive pointing out instructions. Many people, including myself, have experienced some kind of a shift in awareness, quite meaningful, when in the presence of a really accomplished lama. But if the mind isn't yet a suitable vessel, if it hasn't been prepared, the soil has been not tilled, and mulched, and fertilized, and watered, and so forth, if you're not really ready for that, then you may indeed receive something, some real shift of perception, some kind of a breakthrough, some altered perception. It can certainly arise when you receive pointing out instructions. But then before long, it just slips away. And it becomes an object memory. And then when it goes for pointing out instructions again, maybe it gets it again and again and again. But it keeps on, it's like trying to hold water, you know, in between your fingers. It just keeps on slipping away, slipping away. Once you receive the pointing out instructions, of course, if you're truly a suitable vessel, then your practice, as I mentioned before, is... Now that you've got the taste, now good. Now just don't do anything else except for sustain that all day and as much as possible all night until you really become a Vidyadara. And Vidyadara is where it's backed thoroughly with shamata, thoroughly with insight into emptiness, and you're simply resting non-conceptually without mediation in a direct, mm, non-dual realization of Rigpa. So that's what the pointing out instruction is really for, to give you the scent And if you're really a suitable vessel, then you just take it right through and become a vidyata. It said that Dujam Lingba led 1,000 people to become vidyatas. So I think that's quite impressive. It's about 150 years ago, and so. But if the again, if the suitable vessel has been created through the kind of the hard work of Shamatha, vipassana, the preliminary practices, practices like the four immeasurables and bodhicitta, and so forth, if one simply goes for pointing out instructions and then it just becomes a memory then that's all it really ha- comes. It just As he said, it becomes what an object of intellectual understanding that as you recall, oh yeah, three years ago, five years ago, I met this wonderful Lama, received pointing out instructions, it was really great, and you just have now an object of the intellect, just something to hold on to. Once I received pointing out instructions, but, but not sustained. And exactly the same thing happens when people practice vipassana with no real grounding in, in shamatha. They may indeed, it does happen for sure, get some really significant breakthroughs, some real insights. Some may be very, you know, very very meaningful. We had a person here some time ago in an eight-week retreat. He was in a Vipassana retreat and had some real breakthrough. It was, I mean, it was very meaningful for him. Uh, and I don't doubt. I think it was probably very authentic, tremendously meaningful. He went to the Vipassana teacher and, and described what he had experienced. And the Vipassana teacher told him, uh, well, you're finished. You don't need to meditate anymore. Congratulations. You know? And he came here, and he had very significant problems just practicing shamatha. You know, I mean, just you know, the standard problems. He wasn't, he wasn't damaged goods by any means. Very sincere, balanced, very dedicated practitioner. But he clearly hadn't, met, he, he'd hardly even begun shamatha. So kind of the basic problems that people encounter when practicing shamatha, he was tackling exactly those. Tension and all that kind of business. And so to be told that he was already finished before he'd even begun shamatha, I think is not really, I think it's a disservice. So it happens very frequently shamatha. I'm going to speculate wildly here, perhaps in Zen practice also. some a real breakthrough occurs, something really meaningful, shikantaza, whatever it may be. And then it becomes an object of memory. And you couldn't sustain it. It's a very simple reason. You've not prepared the ground. So what does what does Padmasambhava say here? And this, of course, is in Vajrayana as well. People practice the regeneration, completion, and so forth and so on. But it doesn't. It's not sustained. It's not sustained. Simple reason. Tungga says this. Shantideva says this. Padmasambhava says this. Dujon Lingpa says this. Lharam Lingpa says this. Penjan Losang Chukyi says this. I mean, all of the greats are saying this. And I just, I still, I'm getting discouraged a little bit. Like, why are there words of wisdom so widely Ignored. Why are we being so impatient and therefore superficial? So Padmasambhava states here, thus the root of all meditative states depends upon this. Settling your mind in its natural state. So do not be introduced to pristine awareness too soon, but practice until there occurs a fine experience of stability. That ends Padmasambhava's teachings on shamatha. So I don't know how that can be more clearly stated. there it is. And turn off my computer. Questions about the practice? Is it all clear? We're going to in- go to another presentation. We're only halfway through the week. We're going to t- go to Penchin Rachel's presentation tomorrow, which integrates the settling the mind with the awareness of awareness in a very elegant, very deep way. He was not only a great, an incredibly great scholar. One of the foremost followers of Tsongkhapa, but also a very, very deep meditator himself. So we'll look at from the galupa side. But you'll see that it's not something really galupa. It's just, it's just jumping into the water, and enjoying the water, immersing oneself in shamatha practice. Any questions? Is it all clear so far? Okay, enjoy. Acha, yes, go ahead. I was almost out of here. Alan, is this the exercise where you recommended the eye mask? Say it again, please. Yeah. Is this the exercise, this oscillation exercise, is yeah. this the one where the eye mask is supposed to help? Well, it certainly can. You don't need it, obviously. He didn't no. have an eye mask. But the, uh, <laughs> he missed it by that much. You know? um, no, the eye mask is very helpful in the sense that your eyes can be wide open, but then you're, you don't have any distraction from the surrounding environment. You know? Because clearly he's not saying going up to the visual domain. You're going into the space, the space of the mind. So the eye mask is very helpful in the sense your eyes can be wide open and then you can really have a very clear sense that you're directing your mental awareness and not just focusing here and there with your eyes, which anybody can do, and that's not meditation. Okay? The dynamic duo. (laughs) Yes, please. please. Alan, when you were talking about types of mindfulness, you mentioned the wrestling move. The The wrestling move. Wrestling? You were talking about in the latest stages, on the nine stages oh, yeah. of mindfulness, oh yes, that, right, right. That there's okay. a wrestling move where you turn the attention back. Yeah, you invert it back. You invert. Yes, right. Once Isn't you've it, 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 that was the third one, the type of mindfulness called absence of mindfulness, where you're just kind of lost in space. You know, you just slip. You're slipping into the substrate, but again, not lost in space at the sense of oblivion, unknowing. You're, otherwise, for that, you just all you need to do is fall asleep, non-lucidly. But here, you're slipping into space, you're totally immersed in space, you're aware of space, there is the cognizance. But there is, it's kind of like this interval between having shut down, having dissolved your coarse mind, but not yet fully, how do you say, aroused, or made explicit, or revealed, substrate consciousness. And that's where that final move comes in, that inversion of awareness, not simply resting in space, but kind of then embracing the substrate consciousness itself in a non-dual experience of space and of substrate and substrate consciousness. So go ahead. I wondered if awareness of awareness had a flavor of that, because you're kind of... Oh, absolutely. Sure. That's a very good question. The settling the mind at the natural state. See, that those four mindfulnesses, uh, based upon, first of all, distinguishing between stillness and motion, the four mindfulness taught in the Sharp Vajra of Conscious Awareness Tantra are specifically relating to that practice of taking the mind as a path, which we've been calling settling the mind, its natural state. And just as a reminder, what, are you, what is your object of mindfulness? Space of the mind and its contents. But after some time, there are no more contents. So there you are. You're just attending to the space of the mind. Welcome to the third mode of mindfulness, which is absence of mindfulness. And then you invert. right? So you finished with that. The show is over. Like there was a movie, and it got less and less and less, fainter and fainter and fainter, fewer and fewer episodes, until it's a blank three-dimensional screen, just a substrate. Right? And moreover, there's not even any invasion uh, from the other sense fields. It's just a blank screen. And then you invert. Now, in this practice, we're not only are we not attending to the contents of the mind, taking an interest in them, observing them, observing them. We're not doing that, of course. Thoughts, images, and so forth. just not interested. Just as pre- previously, we're not interested in sounds, tactile sensations, uh, visual impressions, as we're settling the mind in its natural state. It's selective, and we're just focusing on the space of the mind and its contents. Well, now, when we're practicing awareness of awareness, a shamatha without a sign, uh, we're also withdrawing our interest from thoughts, images, and all the other contents of the mind. We're aware of them, but as we'll see from Penchen and Losin Jensen. We can either nip them right in the bud. As soon as they come up, just bring out your little snippers and cut them right off. Or just let them, let them vanish. But we're really not interested. We're, and so, but not only are we not interested in and not deliberately focusing our attention on the contents of the mind, but we're also not even deliberately focusing our attention on the space of the mind. Not on that either, and it's a subtle distinction. But focusing on the space of the mind still means there's a referent we're attending to something. There's a vector, right? That space of the mind would be the space, right? Whereas in the shamad without a sign, there's no sign at all. That is, no deliberate focusing on attention to any target at all, not even one as intangible as the space of the mind. You're just resting home. So when you follow the course of that, especially when it gets really simple, and that is Tsongkhaba's approach, and that is just resting in the sheer luminosity, in the sheer cognizance of awareness, and not doing anything else, just resting there, right? Then, when you descend, because that really is the sense of it, descending and descending, just the mind melting away, and you're just descending to a deeper, deeper state, and you, you hit rock bottom, and the rock bottom, of course, is your substrate consciousness, then you're already there. You've already inverted. The whole path was one of inverting rather than waiting, that, waiting on that until the last step. Okay? So this one, while they're settling the mind, takes you to just leaving your awareness in space, which is what Padmasambhava was just talking about as a preliminary exercise. Remember when we, we went up and down and, and right and left to the heart and then attend to space and now just leave it in space. Okay. So there's one approach. But, the simp- but, but, but it then it's always coming back to just awareness of awareness. So the settling the mind leaves you in space and then you invert. The, the shamatha without a sign entails pretty much all the way through. You're relaxing and simply coming back and letting awareness remain in its own place and illuminate itself. So that's it. So you're skipping out all of the intermediate stages and just coming right into awareness this way. Well. yeah. I feel a little bit, just on a totally personal level, I submitted, a, I submitted some notes, rather detailed notes, about nine pages of notes, on the illusions of knowledge in the mind sciences. at the suggestion of a friend of mine who was a really top-notch science writer. Because I was saying, you know, where might might something like that be published? He said, well, check with this guy. I'll leave it all anonymous. Um, But it was just, it was purely, there's no reference to Buddhism in this at all. Simply called the illusions of knowledge and mind sciences. And it was just simply showing how there's actually no evidence at all, no compelling evidence, for the scientific equation, the materialistic equation of mind with brain. It's just no evidence at all. It's just completely inconclusive evidence. And when it comes to reason, there's no good compelling reasoning either. And it's anti-empirical and it's entirely strayed from the whole approach of Galileo and the great triumphs of the scientific tradition for the last 400 years of carefully observing whatever it is you're trying to understand. That's what all the other natural sciences do, from elementary particle physics up to cosmology. As much as possible, observe the phenomenon you're seeking to understand. So I lay this out and about nine pages of notes sent it off to this editor. And he wrote back, he was so, so kind, he wrote right back and said, um, well, your article is really academic in nature, it's philosophical in nature, and, and we're a magazine, just covers, we, we, we don't do that kind of thing. But also, our magazine really takes a fundamentally different stance. We believe the only way to understand reality is the scientific method. And it was nice. I mean, he's being very straightforward. Um, but I thought, wow, how interesting. There was really nothing philosophical in what I said at all. It was all rational, empirical, critiquing scientific method and showing how it needs to expand to attend to more than the objective, physical, and quantifiable since consciousness is not objective, physical, or quantifiable nor is any subjective experience physical, objective, and quantifiable. Therefore, the scientific methods should start embracing and attending closely to the natural phenomena of consciousness, states of consciousness, mental processes, attending to the phenomena they're trying to understand just as all the other branches of natural science do. And he said, that's philosophical and we don't do that because the scientific method is the only way. I must say I was a little bit disheartened. It feels like I'm kind of fighting battles on two fronts, really trying to, for buddha in the modern world not to get dumbed down. Just dumbed down and dumbed down and dumbed down. It's kind of exhausting. And then wanting science not to dumb down and accept dogma instead of really having an open mind, critically questioning one's own assumptions, investigating, devising new strategies when the old ones don't work for 135 years, Don't give any knowledge whatsoever about the nature of consciousness, not even the point of being able to define it, let alone measure it. Expand what you mean by scientific method, as William James suggested more than a century ago. So sometimes I get a little bit tired. Fighting a battle on one front would be quite sufficient. Trying to do it on two fronts simultaneously gets a bit exhausting at times. But then that's what meditation is for release it. Go back to your own practice. That's what I'm going to do right now. Enjoy your day.